Before we get started, I just want to say I hope that everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving and we are so thankful for all of you that have been with us. New listeners, old listeners, thank you, thank you for being with us. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. We could not do this without you. And we have a lot of great content coming up for you guys. But just, we are so thankful for you and grateful. 2020 has been a hard year for everyone. And your support has meant the world to us. So once again, thank you guys. Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1996 neo-noir Bound, written and directed by the Wachowskis, starring Jennifer Tilly, Gina Gershon, and Joe Pantoliano. To get us started, here is a synopsis. Tough ex-con Corky and her lover Violet concoct a scheme to steal millions of stashed mob money and pin the blame on Violet's crooked boyfriend, Caesar. We do want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We will be waiting. So there are a lot of trigger warnings for this episode. A lot of really bad stuff happens to people. A few of them are physical violence, gun violence. There's lots of blood, toxic masculinity, mutilation. We don't really see that, but it's alluded to. So if you're squeamish at all or you have triggers for that, don't watch this. So this movie came out in 1996. That was the year that mad cow disease hit Britain. The Summer Olympics were held in Atlanta, Georgia. Janet Jackson became the highest paid musician in history when she signed an $80 million deal with Virgin Records. Jonathan Larson won the Pulitzer Prize for his rock musical Rent. The English Patient won the Academy Award for Best Picture. And the number one book was Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. And we have with us today the wonderful Sarah Truesdale. Welcome back with us, Sarah. Hey, thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's going to be fun to get to talk about a full episode with you. <laughs> yep, and this is, this is definitely a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is. I was reading Roger Ebert's review on this, and he was talking about how it goes from like being one thing to being another to being another. And he was talking about the Marx Brothers and the movie The Last Seduction. And he said he'd never thought of those two things while watching the same movie before. It was like, yeah, this does have a lot of funny things in it. And then there's a lot of really bad things in it. And then there's a lot of really sexy things in it. And you're just, it is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I was saying earlier, it was someone that um, I feel like neo-noirs could really fall flat. And because that, that's what I would definitely consider this is very much a neo-noir. Like, no, it, it kind of has like the vibe of like an old Humphrey Bogart kind of film like that. Um, and I feel like that's really hard to achieve uh, just because it has a very distinct cadence to the way people talk and the shadows and everything. And so it could either come across as a satire and not be taken seriously, or could it come across as very melodramatic? And this movie definitely walks that fine line. Yeah, because it, it is very dramatic at some points. Mm-hmm. But it never goes so far that it took me out of it. And I was like, oh, no, no, this this is too much. I was fully invested in all of the drama that was going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like one of those things where you can't tell if it's like making fun of itself or if it is serious. And I wouldn't be surprised either way. And I wouldn't be mad. Well, and there was an article that I read too, and we'll link in the show notes to all of these articles as well. But it was talking about that if the I'm going to say their name wrong the entire time, guys. I'm so sorry. But the Wachowskis, 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 Wachowskis. (laughs) I think. I hope. There we go. The directors of this movie, if they hadn't have been as good of directors as they were, that this would have been not a very good movie Mm -hmm. because. Yeah, it does get very dramatic and it does kind of, if you don't mind, I'm going to tell a story about your girlfriend because she gave me permission. So if it's okay with you. Yeah, of course. So I I work with Sarah's girlfriend and she messaged me after they watched this and she said that in the beginning, 
she thought that she was being tricked that she had put on a porn instead of the movie that they were supposed to be watching. And I had never thought about that, but yeah, the whole setup is very much like the handyman kind of porn thing. Like, because it starts off sexy right away. Like I pretty much our first shot. Like the opening second is like them making eye contact. Yeah. The, what we see right away is them in the elevator. And it's like, if you can't tell what's going on between them right then. And, and so I hadn't thought about that until she said it because there is the, oh, she's working next door, fixing the apartment. Oh, I dropped something down the sink. Oh no. Yeah, it's like the plumber and the lonely housewife. <laughs> yeah. <just>, yeah. <laughs> but because they are so good at the camera work and because they cast it so well you know the care they put into like the color palette and stuff like that this would be like probably the highest quality porn ever made if that's (laughs) what it was (laughs) well and what i liked about it is that even though it does have that kind of porn feeling it doesn't feel nearly as male gazy as one would think like, um, there's never any point where it felt like an exploitation film, honestly. Like, it did feel like it was kind of handled delicately and that the actresses, like, had, like, you know, like, they did kind of give off, like, that cheesy vibe and stuff, like we were saying. But I don't know, for some reason, it doesn't feel like this was really meant to, like, titillate men. It was really more to, like, grab your attention. I agree with that. Yeah, it's it's so much more about the relationship between them than just... Like, oh no, it's about lesbians. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah, it doesn't even seem like it's that prevalent to the story, right? And I know that they were offered some major studio offered to finance this for them if they turned Corky's character into a dude, and they were like, no, that's that story's been told. We don't care about that. We don't want to tell that story. So they yeah, did it. Definitely it. separates it from any Scorsese film or anything let's for a second say that they had decided to go that route. But I can't think of anybody else. Gina Gershon is perfect for that part. I oh, wouldn't yeah. want to see anybody else in it. Oh, yeah. Like, um, I, I think it's funny that between this film and the movie Showgirls, which came out the following year, she's she's a really major uh, lesbian icon, especially for, like, Generation X. Uh, like, just because she does have the androgyny and like just that butch swagger and um and even in showgirls she still has that and i don't know she she was perfect for the part it's so funny to me that she was in showgirls it just <laughs> my mind doesn't want to put though that that's the same person i don't know why it <laughs> I guess because, I don't know, just the, the dancing and, the, you know, the whole atmosphere of showgirls. But it's I still have to be like, no, no, Laura, that's the same person. <laughs> I know. It's, well, and I was just doing research because I was even thinking, I was like, where the heck has she been? And um, I didn't know that she's on Riverdale. She plays Jughead's mom. What? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's that's fun. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Um, did not know that. <laughs> I didn't either. I've, I've heard that that's a fun show, you know, in a really CW dramatic way, but there's a lot of CW shows that I've enjoyed over the years. So that's not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. Oh, no. Like, I, I think for me, it's just that, like, I grew up with the Archies. And so seeing them, like, in gangs and having sex and dealing with drugs and stuff, I was just like, no, they're supposed to hang out at the malt shop and hold hands. I know. I know. Do, like, the least controversial anything. The least CW things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this movie starts with, like, these echoey voices and you can kind of like pick out some words but it's not super clear what they're saying and then we get this really cool shot it's from the top of the closet like pointed down and it kind of runs by like the stuff on the shelf and the clothes on the hanger and then we see this person this woman tied up on the floor and she's got like this big gash on her face so right off the bat we know Uh uh-oh, something has gone wrong here, which I think is a really engaging setup because immediately that kind of sucks you in. It's like, oh, how did she get here? What's happening? What's going on outside of this closet? Yeah, definitely puts you right in the middle of the action. Yeah, and then from there is where we go to the elevator scene we were talking about where all basically we're introduced right away to all three of our main players. We don't know who they are at the second, but uh, we have Corky, Violet, 
and Caesar. And they're all getting on this elevator. And Caesar's not really paying attention to either one of the women, but they are paying attention to each other. And so we find out Corky is going to be renovating this apartment that is next door to Violet and Caesar's. And we also find out that the walls are very thin because we hear some noises coming over from the other side of the apartment. And that definitely plays an important part later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. And those, those are some very thin walls. Corky, she's like setting about to do her work and she's she's very much like the handyman sort. She's got her Roto-Rooter thing, all these tools, all this stuff. I mean, she's doing all the work in this place. A little bit later, there's a knock on the door and Violet comes over and introduces herself and brings a cup of coffee and there's a little bit more of this like flirty back and forth stuff going on between them. And that that distinct Jennifer Tilly voice. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. I don't want to say anything bad, (laughs) but her voice can be very grating. It, yeah, oh, there's a reason that she mostly does, like, voice acting. Like, it's it's very distinct, but you just don't take it seriously on screen. <laughs> yeah. You know, it works perfectly in this part because she kind of sounds like a bimbo, although we find out later that she's not. But just, you know, just the voice and kind of the way she carries herself is like, oh. Well, it's probably very much, like, an affect of her voice that because, you know, she's used to having a sweet talk her husband and all the men that come through and everything. So she just naturally puts on that that kind of lilt. Right. Well, and as we find out more about her character, you know, what she's had to do to survive based on choices that she's made. So, yeah. And also, this was 1996. And she hangs out with mobsters and mafia <laughs> people. So she's looked at in a very certain way and... She's kind of playing a part, too. Yeah, so she comes over with a cup of coffee, and I enjoy the exchange there where she tells Corky, she says, I guessed that you were a black coffee drinker, and Corky's like, yeah, you guessed right. And, you know, you just, they both just kind of ooze this sexuality (laughs) in this scene. And it's one of those fun ones to watch. But Corky's also kind of wary of, her a little bit which is completely understandable this is somebody that you don't know you heard these sounds coming from next door and then of course with corky we find that she just got out of prison so i can kind of understand being a little wary of people i think she makes a um, a remark later where like she knew right away that caesar was mafia and um so definitely seems to make sense that she would already know to kind of be cautious around them. Yeah. Violet tells her that she's a night person and wants to know if she'll hold off using the power tools till later in the evening because the walls are paper thin. Yeah, and then from there, we go into a bar where Corky meets up with the bartender who I guess was one of her friends. And this is when we find out that she had been in jail for five years, two months, and 16 days. I've never been in prison. I hope that I never am. I don't intend to do anything to get there, but that just, that just seems like such a long time. And yet, like, everybody seems uh, pretty casual about it. Like, oh yeah, five years is not like, if I, if I had, like, reunited with a friend I hadn't seen in five years, I, I feel like I would have made a much bigger deal. The bartender was just like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, that's true. She's like, they said, how have you been? She says something very, just kind of like, oh, like shit, or, you know, something kind of like that, and they go, okay, now that we've caught up, it's like, <laughs> I'm sure something yeah, it's like, more has happened. <laughs> yeah, I guess in that profession, like, you don't get emotionally tied down, and you just expect that anyone you know could go to prison anytime. Very interesting dynamic there, but it also, you know, sets the tone and asks Corky if she has a job, and Corky says, yeah, I'm renovating this apartment. She goes, no, no, no. Do you have a job? So she, I guess it wouldn't be a surprise to her because she knows what Corky does. And she just got out and she's expecting her to already start robbing again. To which Corky replies, that's not for me. I'm just here to get laid. And so she does. She tries to pick up this one lady, but then this cop comes over. Well, we don't know that she's a cop right away but she says don't i know you and corky's like i don't think so and then she 
pulls out or shows her a badge and uh, Corky very quickly decides that that's not quite the table she wants to be at anymore. But she ta- she does tell the lady that's with the cop, when you get tired of Cagney and Lacey, come and find me, which <laughs> quite amused me. Well, and then um, fun fact, though, the woman that she was hitting on the booth is Susie Bright, who was the choreographer for the lesbian sex scenes. Oh, wow. That's cool. So she got to work on the movie and be in the movie. Ah, I love it when they do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So then from there, we go right into way more sexy stuff because Corky gets a call from the guy who owns the apartment building asking her to go over to Caesar and Violet's apartment because Violet dropped her earring down the sink. And I mean, if this isn't a ploy, like, you know right away that this is a ploy. Because also when she opens the door, Violet's in this, like... This very black skimpy and negligent. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And yeah, there's a reason my girlfriend thought this was a ploy. Like, it's <laughs> definitely set up like, oh, no, I'm a lonely housewife who dropped her earring. I need someone to snake my drain. <laughs> And one thing I thought was funny, too, because, again, it lends itself into this is definitely a ploy. She's not even wearing the matching earring. Just like, I never noticed that. She has on a completely different set of earrings. She has on, like, these little um, diamond stud-looking things, and the earring that she dropped down the sink was, uh, like, a long, dangly one. I guess she couldn't be seen with just one earring. It's unbecoming. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought that was very clever, too, on the part of the costumers and the filmmakers, because if you had any question about, okay, well, maybe, maybe she actually did. Well, I mean, she she did drop it down, but it's not when she was doing the dishes. That to me was like the proof. Oh, no, this was done on purpose. (laughs) It's like, girl, you don't wash dishes. (laughs) yeah that's a nice apartment i bet they have a dishwasher yeah there's no way dress like that no (laughs) yeah and she has really nice nails too there's a lot of times in the movie where you see her nails she doesn't do dishes not hand wash (laughs) but yeah so she does find the earring violet wants to pay her and Corky's like no just i gotta get back to work she says okay well at least a drink what do you want to drink and <laughs> she just goes beer <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> yes i did enjoy that exchange too because mm-hmm. um, i feel like she does it again where she's like I, what kind of car do you have she's like a truck she's like right of course like yeah <laughs> she's like you're such a stereotype corky she does have a line later on too when corky is i guess questioning violet as to whether she actually does like women or not and violet says i know what i am i don't have to have it tattooed on my arm yeah i was going to i was going to point that out too cuz when she notes her her tattoo uh, she, i think it's a, a lapras a, a lap, i don't remember how to pronounce it but that that is considered a symbol in the lesbian community like kind of a shorthand to be like, hey, I'm gay. Uh, I didn't know that. So that line holds a lot more meaning than just, oh, got this axe weapon thing tattooed on my arm so people know that I'm a lesbian. No, it actually has a meaning. That That's really cool. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I feel like they try to set it up like Violet is just this, because she even makes the, the joke, like um, she looks at Gina Gershon and goes like, do I make you nervous? He goes, curious. And she goes, I'm feeling a little bit curious myself. And they always put that in the trailer, kind of implying that she's this straight, curious housewife. But then later she notes like, no, like that person saw me in a bar with a woman once, like he knows what I am. Like, and so it's kind of nice to know like, no, this isn't her first time. Like she saw a woman, she likes the woman and she went for it. Yeah, and it it too, I guess, leaves a question a little bit of, I kind of assumed that she was just with Caesar as as kind of a, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but. A meal ticket? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because you know, he's got a lot of money. He, he says at one point that when he found her, she had nothing and she was nothing. So this was a chance for her to live in a nice place and have nice yeah, did they Did they ever officially say what her background was? Was she like a stripper or a hooker? Did they ever say? Well, she's still a hooker. Yeah. Um, and so I figured like, was it kind of that instance where he was like, I saved you. Like you were like, you literally were a prostitute. That's what I assumed. But yeah, they, they never 
say exactly i think they say where her and caesar met but it's just some kind of generic sounding like, like a dive bar or something yeah i didn't write that down <laughs> so either it's something very important that i missed or it's not really that important either way i don't know but yeah i do like that because so many times when there is a movie it's a lot of times it's like the awakening of one of the people. Especially they, in the 90s. Yeah. So the fact that, no, she knew. She knew that this was what she liked. Yeah, she she never really gives an indication that she's really bisexual. It's more like she's just using the men because they're the ticket to, you know, money or a better life. Because yeah, I think even when Jennifer Gershon hears her, um, she says like, oh no, that wasn't sex, that was work. Um, kind of a point like she doesn't even see it as anything intimate because she's not interested. So I did really enjoy that in the characters and just how strong Violet actually is because there's so many times when she's like, no, I know exactly who I am. No, I know exactly what I'm doing. Everybody thinks that I don't, but I do. Yeah, she's definitely a very underestimated person. Yeah, and that's that's super fun in the scene where after Caesar's figured out what all they're doing and he's got her tied up on the bed and she starts just kind of laying it out for him. And he's like, this isn't the Violet that I knew. This isn't my Violet. And it's like, well, no, she was just playing a part for you. You you mm-hmm. don't know Violet. Back to where we left off. This is a seduction scene full on. And that's what, at one point, Corky asks, what are you doing? And Violet says, isn't it obvious? And she's and yeah, I'm seducing start- you. Yeah. <laughs> she's, very, she's very straightforward. Like you're literally sitting there with your hand on her boob. It, it's pretty clear. <laughs> oh yeah, she did, oh yeah, she was like the. Whole, I have a tattoo. Would you like to see it? And when I when I first saw the like the lighting is so dark, like there's so many shadows. I was like, I don't even think there's anything there. I think she's just convincing her. She's like tricking her into looking at her boobs. <laughs> yeah, and she's got this little bitty tattoo, and she says it took her all day to do it. And I don't I don't have any tattoos, but it's that seems like a. a a pretty Unless small it was like one. a stick and poke or something, I was yeah. like, it secretly has like the entire Bible like lines like written teeny tiny into the rows or whatever <laughs> it was. They really start going for it, and then Caesar walks in. They've got to quickly, you know, oh no, get straighten up, get the clothes on, stand up. Um, oh yeah, and like, but of course, the moment he sees, because he's about to like go off the deep end and snap, but then he sees that it's a woman and. Like, the situation is immediately diffused. Like, it doesn't even occur to him that his wife was, like, fooling around with a woman. Yeah. And that just yeah, shows how, like, how little he knows her at all. Oh, yeah. This is when we get a lot from Caesar in this little bit of dialogue or this little scene here because, one, he knows that she's an ex-con because he said he knows the type of people that the building owner hires. So right away he knows that she's been to prison. He also holds some money out to her and says, we're good people here and gives her the money and tells her that if she doesn't know what he's talking about, then he's going to have to worry about her. And he doesn't mm-hmm. want to worry. So she takes the money. Well, and watching it a second time, it kind of makes you laugh because Caesar is not a big wig. Like, he's kind of a low-tier thug. And so him, like, kind of walking the walk and, like, flashing his money and, like, acting tough. Like, you could kind of tell that Violet's in the background rolling her eyes. Like, you are not as hot as you think you are. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But but that is true. He's not really anybody important. He's a very disposable person in the business. But that night, as Corky is leaving, Violet shows up in her truck and says that she's wants to apologize and i i liked this part too because corky says she hates women who apologize for wanting sex and it's like yes thank you because (laughs) you know society has always said like oh women shouldn't want that women don't want that and i liked that you know just with yeah, that she's like, I'm not gonna, she's like, I'm not going to slut shame you for coming on to me. Like, yeah. Okay. But then she said she's not apologizing for what she did. She's apologizing for what she didn't do. Yeah, Violet's got moxie. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. Because like, you would expect that, um, that Corky would be the one making all the moves and hitting on her and smooth talking her. And, and it's, so it's cool that it's the other way around. And Violet continuously shows 
how strong she is in that she goes for what she wants, even though she has this persona of being like very docile and very pleasing and submissive. Right. But she's she's the one that's really moving everything forward. Oh, yeah. We find out that Violet and Caesar have been together for five years. And Corky says that five years is a long time. So basically, they about got together the time when Corky went into prison. So they've mm-hmm. both kind of like been in their own prisons. Yeah, definitely for sure. Although Violet's has been I, a lot more pleasant. I yeah, she gets to hang out in a penthouse and like rock some fur and all that stuff. But she just, you know, was in a very awkward situation, married to a man she didn't love and dealing with like dangerous stuff. Like the one thing that always gets me about getting involved with a criminal organization is you know that one day you're going to be disposable. So and you're going to and you're going to be a target. I I don't know that there's very long life expectancies for being a career criminal. So <laughs> probably not. So I'm not looking into that. <laughs> But yeah, things continue on with them. They, you know, keep having their affair and meeting up secretly when Caesar is away. And Corky does see the men come to Violet in Caesar's apartment, which makes me wonder, does Caesar know that she's doing this? I don't know, because that that doesn't seem like something he would be cool with. Like as much as he wants to kind of be a kiss ass to the bosses and stuff. I can't really see him like pimping out his own wife to them. Like he seems yeah. too proud of a man for that. Yeah. And I mean, she wouldn't really need to, I wouldn't think. It's like, unless she's sleeping with them. Cause I, cause they never see if she's sleeping with them for money or if she's sleeping with them um, to protect Caesar. I don't, I don't really remember like what the trade off was because it'd be one thing if she was like sleeping with them for money and kind of stockpiling the money to run away. But it seems more like, like like maybe Caesar's kind of a screw up and she has to keep them happy so they don't kill him. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I like that. I could see that. Yeah, but she's also friends with one of the guys named Shelly. Shelly knows what she is because he saw her in a bar with another woman one time. But he thinks that he's in love with her and that he can get her to run away with him. Again, does that imply that she's sleeping with him too? I think she said that she's not or implied she made it seem like oh no he's different like he knows i'm yeah and the fact that it matters to her that like oh no he knows i'm gay he wouldn't do that it makes it seem like she is kind of seducing all the other guys and like flirting with them and leading them on for caesar's sake yeah that would make sense i mean because every guy that comes into that apartment is hitting on her Mm -hmm. and so for this guy to be like oh no like i know i know you're not into that like i'm just your friend and but but he also seems yeah apparently in love with it and so i didn't know if it was because he was sleeping with her they thought he was in love with her just because he thinks Oh, no, I can save you. I can protect you. I can take you away from all this. But also, too, in, you know, 96, probably a lot of guys would have been like, oh, well, she's not really a lesbian. You know, if she slept with me, she'd just realize that she really likes dudes. (laughs) I fixed it. You're welcome. Yeah. So that might have been his thought, too. Like, oh, she thinks she's this, but but I could change that. But I don't know. We, we don't get to know too much about Shelly, except the fact that he was skimming off of the accounts and stole $2 million and didn't run when he had the chance. They think that maybe he wanted to get caught, which, based on what happens to him, I don't think he wanted to. That's the scene where they take out the, like, pruning shears and... Yeah, it's and it's a very brutal, like, beat down first. Like, it, it shows that pretty much the entire toilet, toilet bowl is full of blood. Well, and it's really neat the way they do it, too. This really brutal scene is super neat. I really liked it. Because <laughs> Corky's in the apartment next door, and you see, like, the toilet there kind of, like, thud a little bit. And then the water in the bowl... Ripple. Oh yeah, it, it kind of reminded me because it's like the year before or like a couple years before this movie would have come out would have been Jurassic Park and it kind of reminded me of that like when the T-Rex would stomp and the water would ripple. Ooh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have caught that, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Just kind of um, 
how loud it is. Not Yeah, it's like not only how thin the walls are, but just how genuinely loud it is. And the fact that I guess maybe the bathrooms share a wall or something, but the fact that, yeah, they are beating this guy so hard that it literally is shaking stuff in the apartment next door. And then, of course, it goes from like the, that toilet to the next toilet. And then you see the, you know, drops of blood and they're just like beating his head against the toilet bowl which ow the the thug that's involved uh johnny it's it's, it's that guy from law and order svu uh christopher melanie maloney how do you say it i think it's either malone or maloney he has had <laughs> he has played so many different kinds of parts in his career and he may be an awful person i have no clue but I really enjoy him as an actor. And so when I saw him get out of that car, I was just very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just because I'm so used to seeing him on SVU and he's all straight laced and stuff, to see him young with hair and kind of a sadist was pretty wild. Yeah, because he is. He just is like thoroughly enjoying this whole process. Yeah, and Caesar has this line that he tells Violet of, because she wants to leave while this is going on, because Shelly's her friend and also who wants to be in their apartment apartment when somebody's getting the life beat out of them it's it's very odd that caesar is like no no you're fine like no like i feel like anybody would be like no i don't want my wife hearing this this is brutal but he tells her that this is hard on me too i like shelly it's like okay but it just kind of feels like he's punishing her even though i don't think he really understands their friendship or even that they are friends and so it yeah it just kind of seems really cold-hearted yeah i think it's giving caesar a little too much credit but but it, it just seems like, no, I want you to listen to, like, your friend being tortured. Yeah, who... <laughs> It, it, see, it would seem like any normal person would be like, yeah, yeah, I can understand you want to go. But he's like, no, no, this is really hard for me, too. <laughs> like, no, I think this is really hard for Shelly. <laughs> yeah, he's losing a pinky. <laughs> you're the one getting the pruning shears. I don't think this is too difficult for you. But thankfully, that scene doesn't drag out too much longer after that. But it is when Violet decides that she does want out and she wants Corky to help her. Yeah, that's kind of what's nice about what I would say, because they they make it kind of set up like, oh no, these two people, these forbidden lovers got together and decided to run away together. But I feel like at that point she would have run away regardless. It's just, there just happens to be somebody that she really needs that just happened to move next door. She's several times said things like, I want to leave. I want to go. Not necessarily meaning- Not like, I love you. Let's run away together. She's just like, I gotta get out. And they don't always mean like, oh, go away forever. But the number of times that she said, oh, I have to go or I need to leave. It's just really set up that that is something in her mind. Leaving is very important. Corky tells her that for her, stealing has always been a lot like sex. That there's like the foreplay and the two people deciding that they're going to do something and then they start planning it and they get into it and then they do it. Well, it's but, just funny that later when she was like, what went wrong? And she was like, oh, my partner fucked me. And she meant it like in a completely different connotation. Right, right. I thought I thought that was a nice tie-in too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but Caesar shows up at the apartment with this paper bag full of money that is all just soaked in blood. Then we get a flash back to Corky tied up in the closet again. So it's, I think it's interesting how we keep, you know, checking in with that. Cause it's been a while since we've been reminded that, oh no, this is, this is where we ended it's up. Like, remember this? Yeah. It's like, remember this is not going to end well for her for a while. And then we come back to this part in the story where Caesar is washing the money and he has like these clotheslines all over the apartment with the money paper clipped to it so it can dry. It's, it's really excessively ironing them. Like it, it's, it's impressive. Yeah. And it's really kind of beautiful. It's like the money is like leaves all over the apartment or something. I don't know. I just, I was really impressed by it. I also assume that that sh- probably took the set dresser a very long time to do. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so Violet is telling Corky all about what happened you know what they did with the money what's happening and she tells her that she didn't sleep that night Uh, she stayed up all night listening to the sound of money where caesar is you (laughs) know he's bringing the counter yeah i thought that was a really because you always hear about like the smell of money or the sight of money so it's interesting like to be like that's the sound yeah it's kind of it's kind of poetic Mm -hmm. but what's really cool about this is 
you know, she's telling what's happening, but we're also seeing it. But as they're working out the plan of what's going to happen, we also see the plan taking place. When she tells her, you know, this this big guy, Gino, who's the brother of the head of this family, is coming to pick oh, yeah. up the money. Gino Marzoni, the yeah. most Italian name ever. And Johnny, this sadistic guy who ended up shooting Shelly that caused the money to get all bloody is Gino's son. And so they're going to come to pick up this money. And Gino drinks this one special kind of whiskey, I think, or something. Oh, yeah, Glenn Livet. Yeah. And so the plan is that Violet's going to drop the bottle by accident and have to go get a new one. And so when she leaves, she's going to let Corky in and Corky's going to take the money to the apartment next door and hide it. And then when Violet gets back, she's going to say, oh, I just saw Johnny in the parking lot. And then Caesar's going to think that Johnny stole the money to make it look bad. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I really love that while they're planning this out, we actually see all of this happening too. Like It's pretty much as if um, Corky, for the most part, pretty much called it, but like clockwork, like she knew every step really well. Like she understood the psychology of what Caesar would do and what Violet should do. And it it was really impressive. I am definitely not that smart. I Oh no, I've always wanted to be a con artist. Like, like, you know, um, like rob a bank or anything like that. I always thought that would be so fun especially just i just don't have that that way to think that far ahead yeah dirty rotten <laughs> scoundrels like you know to be yes. a con artist but oh, man, she i outwits them <laughs> i would i don't know i wouldn't get very far into my con before i'd be like uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to take their key. It doesn't work. Oh, no, then I guess not. Nothing. Yeah. And now I'm out of ideas. Okay. <laughs> so that's why I just watch movies and read about them. <laughs> so everything's going according to plan, except that when Caesar is supposed to discover the money being gone, he's supposed to run. And then everybody's going to assume that he stole it and they'll track him down and kill him and it's all over and it's fine. Except he's much craftier than what they give him credit for. Yeah, it's like another example. It's just like Caesar and Violet both like really underestimate each other. Yeah, because he doesn't run. Oh no, he's got a plan. Or he doesn't really, but he's he's gonna do something. Of course, it all ends up going terribly wrong. When Gino and Johnny get there, he decides to call Johnny's bluff. Of course, Johnny doesn't know what he's talking about, but he pulls a gun on Johnny, which of course Gino gets really upset about. Then he points the gun at Gino, which really makes Gino upset and then he kills yeah. them both yeah Caesar has no chill <laughs> he's really <laughs> like um and, and so it's kind of one of those things that they expected him to run and I can't decide if it's because he's smarter than that or he thinks he's running that or if it's that he's even more cowardly like he would rather like go crazy and like kill them all in a panic rather than like just spend his life running that's the thing I I'm not sure either but yeah he he's not gonna give in to this he's gonna see it through no matter how bad of an idea it is but because of the gunshots the cops are called this was really good like fast thinking on his part like i thought this this was also really impressive yeah and it's just it's so well done and so smart he just cranks up the tv and he's like oh i have a hearing problem and he dumps the bodies in the bathroom moves the rug over the pool of blood there was a picture that got shot so he takes a picture down moves the lamp in front of the bullet hole which wasn't like that like i just feel like somebody would notice at an angle i don't know maybe they're just not that observant but i I was just like that's a big hole yeah and also the way he does the lamp it just looks really weird like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't make a choice to do that yeah that's like that's bad feng shui yeah But yeah, the police come in and that's what he tells them, that he has a hearing aid, that the batteries went out, so he turned the TV up really loud, which it also was a bit of luck that he was able to find something that had gunshots on it uh, like i know because right i was away. like what if what if he did it and it was like little mermaid or something like how was he gonna cover that up 
All you can find is, you know, say yes to the dress and um, four weddings. <laughs> whatever, whatever crap was on in 1996. Yeah. And then, then the police officer also has to go to the bathroom and there's two dead bodies in the bathtub. So oh, yeah. The t- I, like, I like the, like, they get really close to Caesar's face and he's clearly, like, like, pers- like perspiring and just freaking out. Like, oh, my God, I'm going to kill these guys. I think he's even got a gun wrapped in a towel. Yeah. Uh, so he's ready. And it, it's a, such a tense scene. It's so good. And Violet tells him that she's leaving. She is not going to have any more part of this. Uh, this is too much. He pulls out the, well, if you're not with me, then you're against me. Yeah, and- he just seems very paranoid at this point. Like, like it's like, obviously, like, he, he he's correct and, like, finding her suspicious. But in this moment, he doesn't seem like someone that's very alert and, like, one step ahead. He just seems like, everyone's a suspect! And he's just so erratic right now. And he just killed a couple people. And so um, there's really no predicting what he would do. Oh, <laughs> I enjoyed this part, too, where Johnny, before he killed them, uh, when he pulled the gun, Johnny told Caesar, you're a dead man. And then after he shoots him, he's uh, holding Johnny up, talking to him, and he goes, "Uh, who's dead now, fuckface? Guess again. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely a personal vendetta with him. It wasn't just him being mad about the money. He just really hates that guy. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess a little bit of credit to Caesar that, he recognized Johnny for being sadistic and it was like, hey, I don't like that guy. But I mean, that's like just an itty bitty tiny itty bit of credit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's another thing. We never know exactly why Caesar and Johnny hate each other so much. Violet says it's something that happened before she came along. Which oh, yeah, I think yeah, is, she's like, basically he thinks he's an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is kind of cool that they don't have to be like, okay, so here's this backstory about why they hate each other. It's just like, I don't know, but they just really hate each other. Well, and I'm sure a lot of it's just because, you know, Johnny was born into the family, like the head honchos his uncle and so I'm sure that Caesar just thinks it's blatant nepotism and he, he didn't work for it and that he's just like a smug little prick basically. Which I mean is not wrong but uh, no. <laughs> and so Violet goes in to call Corky and tell her that things are not not going so well. Caesar catches her on the phone and this is the beginning of where everything just starts to go downhill. Sorry I'll backtrack. Before that they go and they trash Johnny's apartment looking for the money. Can't find the money. So what Caesar does is he calls one of the other guys and says, hey, they never showed up. This is weird. What's going on? So they say, okay, Caesar, something must have happened. You sit tight. And they get back home. And that's when Violet calls Corky. And Caesar, of course, is super suspicious and was like, who are you talking to? And hits redial. And that's oh, when- the thin walls. <laughs> yep. Hear the phone ringing next door. And- well, it's just interesting that um, he immediately is like, who the hell is next door? And um, his immediate thought is that she's working with Johnny. But of course, Johnny's dead by now, so. Yeah. And, um, but it's like, again, it like wouldn't occur to him. Like, oh, hey, I saw that lady that lives next door. (laughs) He's like, no, it couldn't be a woman. And of course, Corky hears Violet screaming and she runs over, breaks in. And that's when Caesar knocks her out, ties her up, puts her in the closet. Like, cut to the opening scene. Yeah. So now, now we've caught up. Okay. We know things are not going well. But how are they going to get out of it? What's going to happen? And I still feel like it's it's all twisty, but it's very well done because... If, it feels like if this was a play, that would be the end of Act 1. Like, right when it goes right to her, when she's in the closet again. But these other guys that are part of the business that Caesar had called, they show up at his apartment because he wasn't answering his phone and they don't they haven't heard anything about johnny and gino so you know there's a lot of bells going off here for people because something's not right and he's willing to he's willing to take them out too like caesar is just like anybody gets in my way i am shooting them i don't have he's time basically- for this tonight yeah, he's basically a wild animal backed into a corner. Like, it's not even really him being this criminal mastermind. He's just scared shitless. Because his thought was, if he can find the money, he just gets rid of Gino and Johnny's bodies. And then, I don't know, they just never showed up. I guess maybe some other people killed them and we'll never find the bodies. Oh, but here's the money. Everything's cool. But without that money, everybody's going to think that he did it. And Caesar definitely is a very 
proud man, like a very insecure man, kind of what I was saying about he's a low tier thug and he clearly doesn't like being upstaged by Johnny, who's clearly younger than him. And he um, he's just afraid that like this was like his big shot and he's screwing it up and that like his pride being wounded is almost more like that's more upsetting to him than like his life being at risk. He would yeah rather go through all that and but he doesn't want to look like the coward. Like he could just run away and look like he's the one that stole it all, but he doesn't want them to think of him as this rat. Yeah, you're right. His reputation at this point is more important than his life. But it goes okay because Violet Violet's pretty smart too. So she takes Gino's or Johnny's cell phone, one of their cell phones out of their pocket and calls Caesar. And 1996 cell phone. <laughs> oh, flip phones. I love flip phones. Oh, um, God, yes. Oh, tells him, say, that Gino and Johnny were in a car accident, but everybody's okay, but they're at the hospital. Stay on the phone till I get out here. You have to let me and Corky go. Nobody gets hurt. So they get rid of the other guys, but it doesn't work out quite so well because Caesar's not going to let them off that easy. Well, because even when he busts out, like, the pruning shears and stuff, he basically copies the script that Marzoni said in the beginning. Like, he can't even come up with his own technique or his own material. Right, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna cut he's like, off. I'm gonna count to ten. <laughs> Violet's fingers until Corky tells him where the money is, and so she does. She tells him that it's next door in the paint, and so he does. He goes and he tips it over, and the the money falls out of the paint buckets, and there's just paint everywhere. And at least it's in a bag, so he doesn't have to clean it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, that was smart of Corky to you put them in some, some plastic bags so the money didn't get ruined. Like, I've already washed and ironed all these. So like, <laughs> I have to do laundry all over again. <laughs> Don't give me another errand, Corky. But how does she get free? Oh, that's right. He accidentally leaves the pruning shears in the closet with her. I actually did forget that. That was, that was, that was good. Because I was, I was like, "Ooh, you got to be real careful." Because one wrong snip, and and yeah, you've cut your hand, you've cut your finger off. Uh, but she does; she gets out. This is one of those movies like so much happens that by the time I get to the end, I'm like, "Okay, wait, how did that happen exactly?" But she does. Corky gets out and she, no, Violet runs off. That's what happens. Mm -hmm. And then she comes back. Yeah. (laughs) And Caesar chases her. And so while they're gone, Corky goes into the other apartment and she tracks some paint and then takes her boots off. Uh, so there's no other footprints. And- oh, and again, like, again, Caesar acts really fast. He's like, okay, if she did this, she's clearly behind me. <laughs> oh, and also Violet calls, um, I think it was Mickey is the character's name. That was... Oh, yeah, and she's like, he made me do it. <laughs> and it's like, no, Caesar! <laughs> He's coming, oh, no! And then, you know, hangs up the phone. Of course, you know, there's that act again, because as soon as she hangs it up, she's like, cool as a cucumber. Um, oh, yeah. yeah she, she knows how to play the game. So she she is brutal because she finds Caesar in there. He says, you don't want to shoot me. She basically, like, tells him, you don't know anything about me, and then just, like, pumps him full of bullets. And such a cool shot because he's all over the white paint. And, like, yeah. the, the, the blood flows into it. And he, got, he almost looks like a snow angel or something. Like, I don't know. It's a very cool shot. Again, just how they play with color in this movie it's just really beautiful because yeah the the red and the white how it kind of mixes together and like you said yeah you you expect him to start moving his arms and legs and make a snow angel (laughs) and then this is another part that i kind of love is we don't know what they did with him we don't have to have that scene of them disposing of the body we just find out that they did he just disappeared yeah because if anything because people know he's in a gang like they can like they could leave him there people will just think like oh no marzoni or johnny or whoever like killed him the next scene is mickey is with violet and they're saying oh i can't believe that caesar would do this yeah we don't know where he is but we'll find him you know are you sure and again another guy that's like like, well, you know, my offer still stands if you want to come be my girl. And yeah, it's like basically she's just like, I could be any mobster's wife today if I wanted to. Like she's been networking. <laughs> but she's, you know, very much like, no, I just need to get away for a little while. And so they all leave and Corky shows up in her brand new red pickup truck. 
which I laughed because when she showed it and it was kind of dramatic, like clearly you're supposed to be impressed. And I was like, what? Crappy Ford? Like, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh, right, because it's from 1996. And so like, I was just so unimpressed. I was like, oh, right, that's like brand new in 1996. Yeah, that was probably a really nice truck at the time. You know, yeah, I was like, it's just a piece of crap. Who cares? <laughs> like, now she probably would have had like dually something giant <laughs> truck or, or cruising the Escalade. <laughs> Or now, you know, a super sleek sports car or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, and they ride off into the sunset together. Oh, and I love that line. Cause she was like, you know what's the difference between you and me? And she was, no, she was, neither do I. Yes, yes, I love that too. That's such that a good was, closing line. Yeah, that was one of the fights that they had. She was saying Corky thought that there was a, a lot of difference between them. That was when they were having the fight about... Like, you and I are from two different worlds. Like, who yeah. hasn't heard that fight? Like, <laughs> But yeah, so it has a happy ending. Yay! Mm-hmm. Which was very rare at the time for queer couples. And that was one of the things that Gina Gershon said that she loved about it was that in the end, she got the girl and she got the truck. Mm-hmm. Yes, all, she's a simple woman. She just wants yeah. her truck, lady. <laughs> oh, and the money, too. Oh, yeah, and $2 million. You can forget that. (laughs) Simple things. You don't need much in life, you know. Although, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I could probably make $2 million work really well for me. But it's not not as much money now as it was in 96. Oh, no, but still nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no. (laughs) If if I just continue as a working stiff, I will not see that kind of money. (laughs) But Gina Gershon said that some of her influences for her character were James Dean, Marlon Brando, and Clint Eastwood. I can see it. And I I, I definitely think that if this movie was remade, I could see that role being played by Ruby Rose. Ooh, good casting. Yeah. Like, she's not a great actress, but like, I mean, this wasn't exactly great acting, so it was. <laughs> so I think, yeah, you just gotta stand there and like swagger and like be the be the hot plumber. She also said that she did things that she would see guys doing on sets of movies. So like in between takes, she would go and do push-ups and stuff like that. And I I thought that was uh kind of funny too. She was in the zone, like yeah. just do push-ups. It's no big. <laughs> She's like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna fully embrace this that I have created. But uh, I was reading some articles about it and several of them said that this is both Gina and Jennifer's best movie to date. And- <laughs> which, which, yeah, they don't have particularly like sterling resumes. So like that's, like neither of them exactly went on to become like an Oscar winner or anything. <laughs> From what I've seen of their body of work, yeah, I think I would agree. Um, but they they are they just work really well together. In oh this. yeah, they have great chemistry. One thing that I think is really fascinating is that Jennifer Tilly was supposed to play Corky, which I cannot picture at all. I mean, I guess I would have had to have seen how they were going to style her for that because yeah, yeah I can't see it. Mm-mm. But then the actress playing Violet dropped out and they realized that she was better as Violet and they got Gina Gershon to play Corky because I just I don't know how that would have worked yeah just with that high voice like no one would ever believe that she's like this androgynous stud (laughs) like I can't see Jennifer Tilly fixing a pipe no (laughs) I did love she talked about she wanted like Violet to encompass all areas of her character so she had her hair dyed so black that it almost had kind of like a purpley tinge to it and she always oh, wow. wore purple eyeshadow and most oh, of yeah, all her, of yeah her makeup was great in this like very yeah. bam <laughs> yeah it was cool and most of her clothes all had kind of like a purple undertone to them Yeah, because so. even when i was watching it i was kind of like she looks like morticia adam's slutty sister <laughs> i love that <laughs> yeah i can see it that is funny thank you for that <laughs> but yeah so she wanted she really wanted to be violet all the way i don't know do, do you watch rupaul's drag race at all I haven't. That's one that, like, I finally got Hulu and everything. I I think it's still on there. And that's, like, one that my roommate and I have been talking about watching for years. But I haven't gotten around to it. Okay. Well, there is a drag queen that was on it named Violet Tchotchke. And she got her name Violet from this character. So I just, (laughs) I thought that was fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I I imagine that both of them kind of are, uh, I mean, 
definitely for like the lesbian community, but I'm sure that like just Jennifer Tilly alone is kind of a, a queer icon, even among uh, gay men. I mean, I can't speak from experience, but that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, it's like between this and Bride of Chucky, I feel like she's definitely kind of got that that fan base. <laughs> I read a book that Gina Gershon wrote. She's a very interesting person. It was called The Search for Cleo, How I Lost My Cat and Found My... Oh, no, How I Lost My Mind oh. and Found My Cat. Oh, I think I remember when this was being published, but yeah, I've, n- I've never found a copy. I listened to the audiobook of it. It was very interesting. She talked about this time where this she was walking down the street and this cat kind of led her to this abandoned lot and then all these other cats showed up and like started meowing at the moon and she just hung out with these cats in this abandoned lot until they dispersed and there's just a lot of kind of interesting things like that in it and I was like okay you're, <laughs> you're an interesting person <laughs> I'm um, actually looking at the title right now like I found it and it's it's called In Search of Cleo How I Found My Pussy and Lost My Mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's interested in learning more about her it it was a an entertaining and illuminating read yeah I would recommend it okay yeah I'll have to look into that for sure uh, but she also talked about how she was going to get her teeth cleaned and she didn't make sure that she had the same dental hygienist that she usually got and so the hygienist that she had while she's there cleaning her teeth is asking her like oh so what about what about Bound and Showgirls? Are you really a lesbian and all this kind of stuff? Which, oh God, <laughs> having your teeth cleaned is a strange enough process anyway. Without, well, this I'm not person. gonna be like, oh yeah, let me sit in here and tell you the story of my life while you have like all these dental tools in my mouth. <laughs> yeah. That's Bound. One of the reviews I found from Roger Ebert, he said that Bound is one of those movies that works you up, rings you out, and leaves you gasping. It's pure cinema spread over several genres. It's a caper movie, a gangster movie, a sex movie, and a slapstick comedy. It's not often you think of The Last Seduction and the Marx Brothers during the same film. I did during this one, and I also thought about Blood Simple and Woody Allen. It's amazing to discover all this virtuosity and confidence in two first-time filmmakers. The Witch House. The Wachowskis. It doesn't help that Jennifer Tilly was in Monsters, Inc., so I just hear, Mike Wazowski! (laughs) That's right, she was. Yeah, the Wachowskis, self-described college dropouts, still in their 20s from Chicago. Like, making this, this movie has a lot of depth and a lot of really good decisions for filmmakers in their 20s yeah for sure and it's it's wild to think that this was their first movie especially because the rest of their filmography is so different right yeah yeah i'm not sure at what like how long after this the matrix came but i think it was um uh 99 so like three years later wow that's that's a big jump in your craft because i mean this is really good but that's a big difference yeah especially because um you know this movie uh, bound was made for only six million dollars and then it's wild to think that three years later they're making a movie for over 60 million dollars jeez and that went on to make over like almost like half a million dollars or half a billion dollars excuse me and is you know one of the movies that will be talked about for it's pretty much always going to be on lists of stuff and i'm on this journey of watching all of the movies on the american film institute's top 100 list and some people have said that the matrix should be on that list so yeah that list hasn't been updated in a, in a pretty long time like since long 2007 it, yeah yeah and i feel like just so much groundbreaking stuff has come out since then and also on that list there's no female directors represented I think there's one movie by a director of color and that's Do the Right Thing and everything else is white directors, white male identifying directors. Wow. Oh, yeah. That, um, yeah, we need to change that. We definitely need to get that updated. Yeah, it needs to be updated a lot. And it's one of those things that I think Steven Spielberg is an amazing director, but he's got like five movies on the list. I think um, a lot of that is just because I guess they were just groundbreaking at the time. Um, he's one of those people that I always say, like, he's a businessman first and a filmmaker second. And so, like, I, I guess it's, if anything, he's just kind of like George Lucas, where they, 
they get more credit for how their movies change the game from a business perspective. Ah, yeah, I can see that. And they're just beloved classics. (laughs) Yeah, no, they are. I mean, I'm not arguing that any of the movies he has on there don't necessarily deserve it but there are i guess i guess there should be like a distinction between like the 100 best american films in terms of quality and then like in terms of like cultural significance yeah because i mean like speed is on that list i think or or it's at least on the thriller list it might be on the thriller list it's not it's not on yeah i was like there's um, no way it's on the top 100 yeah it's in the it's in the thriller list and i was like i I feel like enough like action movies and stuff have come that would knock that off the board right away the number of like war movies that are on the list and there's no like actual horror movies on there psycho is kind of the closest that comes to there being a horror movie on the list Mm -hmm. yeah it's just because um you know just the way horror has been treated but it's it's like now honestly with an updated list i probably would put get out or hereditary like it might be kind of low on the list but i feel like they are going to work their way up eventually so yeah that's that's something that uh would be fun to be seen oh so what would you rate this movie on uh a to f scale and if you want to do like plus or minuses that's up to you yeah i i would give it like a b b plus like it's it's a lot of fun and it it, it is one i feel like when I first watched this movie, I was more interested in the beginning and then would kind of tap out during the actual heist. Like, I'm just not really into gangster movies. Like, admittedly, like, I watched this because there was a gay couple in it. And, um, but, and so, like, when I first watched it, you know, when I was a teenager, that's what I was more interested in. But then when I watched it this time, the opening just feels so, it just hasn't aged very well and just feels really cheesy. And now I was much more interested in the actual heist part. And so it just, I guess it's one of those ones that, I gotta be in the right mood for whichever half that day. And so, yeah, I would give it like a solid B. Yeah, I think it's a very solid B movie because the the filmmaking is good. Like the design elements of it are all good. The costuming. Again, I I mentioned how they play with color and I really enjoy those aspects of it. And there's some really cool shots. I think the casting is good. And especially, like you said, for a first movie, this is a really solid first movie. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people even now that, like, I mean, because it obviously has like a very strong cult following, but there are people that try to argue that they think it's superior to The Matrix. Like, obviously, The Matrix is this blockbuster monolith, and it was one of the biggest movies of the 90s, but there are people that try to fight for Bound. I love The Matrix. It was mind-blowing to me. I didn't want to see it. I was like, when people told me about it, I was like, oh, that sounds really awful. I don't want to see that. And then when I saw it, I was like, what is this amazing thing? So (laughs) I would be interested to hear what their argument is for why this is better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, guys, if you think Bound is better than The Matrix, I would really love to hear why you think that. So tweet at us or... Email us, fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com, on the Facebook group or Instagram, because, yeah, I would I would like to know why you think that. Do you have a recommendation of what people should read or watch next? Um, if you like this movie for the kind of the crime lord aspect, um, I would recommend Leon the Professional, which came out two years prior to this and it's just a fun crime movie and it stars a very young Natalie Portman in her first movie and the villain is Gary Oldman and he kind of reminds me of Johnny in this like he's erratic and sadistic and I I feel like Gary Oldman's performance has been really influential for crazy villains over the years and then if you like the kind of like lesbian couple femme fatale I would do Heavenly Creatures which also came out in 1994 and that is Peter Jackson's debut film and it stars a very young Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky as the main characters that movie is so messed up it's wild (laughs) because it's based on a true story oh I know I listened to this podcast all about the real woman because you know she went on to be a a crime author like she wrote mystery like murder mystery novels like I've seen a ton of them at the store like it's wild yeah she's a very very well-known writer um I can't think of her name right now it's Anne something oh that's gonna bug me like Anne Cart not Anne Carson Um, (laughs) Anne Carson is not a murderer I want this on the record (laughs) oh Anne Perry Anne Perry that's her name. I had uh, floated the idea of covering that one on the show, and my sister had seen it before. So, because when I mentioned the name, she was like, "No, no, that movie messed me up." Yeah, that that is a very trippy movie. So it's very 
you know, very well done. But of course, the whole thing is knowing that it's real. Yeah, that is very disturbing. But yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, good recommendations. I have not seen Leon the Professional. It's it's very good. Um, it's very campy and over the top, kind of like this one. It has that neo-noir vibe. And it's just fun to see baby Natalie Portman and Gary Oldman. <laughs> so my recommendation is The Handmaiden from 2016. I'm not going to try to say everybody's names because I will butcher them so bad. But all of the information will be in the show notes. It's based on the novel Fingersmith by Sarah Waters. And I think it's really cool how they took this like British thing. Yeah, it was like a Victorian era, like very Dickensian. And they made it completely different. It is fantastic i watched it because our friend rebecca was like you have to watch this and yes she let me she she lent it to me too (laughs) the basic premise is a woman is hired as a handmaiden to a japanese heiress but secretly she's involved in a plot to defraud her but there is so much more like it is twist upon twist upon twist and it's another ladies in love story so so there's crime and and there's ladies in love so that's that's how i'm tying this in for my recommendation that is a good reason <laughs> guys this, this is a great movie go watch it <laughs> was is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or that we missed or anything um i think it's that i think that's about it um the main thing i guess is that it wasn't really until we started talking about that i just really noticed like the very recurring theme of just underestimating somebody in this movie especially especially violet and caesar like it did become more of a cat and mouse than either of them would have expected yeah now that now that i'm thinking a little bit more about it while corky is the one who came up with the plan it really is a lot between violet and caesar of okay can i pull something over on him okay can i get the upper hand on her so Corky was like the mastermind, but they're really the ones that are moving the pieces around after it all gets started. And I feel like a lot of that comes from knowing each other very well and also not knowing each other at all. Like she knew that he would react this way if they didn't have the scotch or hit, like that his boss wanted and stuff like that. But she didn't expect that he wouldn't run. He thought that she wouldn't shoot him. <laughs> and he was very wrong. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that is not the thing you want to be wrong about in a relationship <laughs> well thank you for being with us if you'd like to mention where people can find you online uh yeah uh, my twitter's just thus spoke me 512 and my instagram is thus spoke sarah true excellent so um yeah thanks again this was a lot of fun to talk to you about this one and yeah absolutely um, thanks for having me all right um bye bye Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.